We at Time to Rebuild would like to acknowledge that this podcast is produced on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. At the YMCA Rebuild, we're in the business of reducing recidivism in Victoria and in no way do we condone criminal activity discussed in these episodes. We support victims of crime and are committed to creating a safer community. What I want to point out before we get started is that there are some complex topics of suicide and abuse. So please use the discretion when listening. Uh, and if you need any support, there are links on our website, and that's in the show notes. You ask me the questions and I'll talk. I think you've been yelled at a few times, mate. That's a really good point that you make, because we're, this is what this podcast is about, is giving that little sight. You're, you're going you're gonna to do things that are compromised, maybe the values and morals that you were brought up with, or maybe they fall right in line with the values and morals that I was brought up having. Um, my focus is just focusing on what I'm going to do when I get out. And all the stuff that you mightn't have thought of that mm. goes on in the prison. Yeah, like how many alarms get set off when you walk in with Mick Cronin. <laughs> Mick Cronin. Mac Wilson. How are we doing today? Not bad, yourself? Very well. You're over your uh, cough. Well, we recorded yesterday, so I'm, <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little bit better today. Well, this is uh, going to be four weeks apart, this yeah, episode. Yeah so. so, yeah, so every time in this season, yeah, I've got that husky voice going, so uh, I hope the listeners are really appreciate what I'm doing for them with that husky voice. So, That's yeah. Good. But now I'm feeling much better. But you know why I'm feeling better? Because we've got another great guest today. So, uh, um, today we have the privilege of having uh, Simon Fennick from Fruit to Walk. Uh, as our guest and Simon you're someone that you know um, we've known for a while in the work that you've done and um, seeing you from afar doing lots of speaking uh, whether it's at conferences or things as well <laughs> but uh, we were um, very lucky to kind of yeah have a bit more of a catch up at the social enterprise world forum as well where you spoke and <laughs> I was speaking a little bit as well so it's a privilege to have you come into the studio today and uh, share your story so how are you? I'm well thank you thank you for having me on board. Ah, no, it's our pleasure, our pleasure. Um, so I think what we usually do is we just start, you know, a little bit, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and you know, growing up and, and uh, how, was, how was life for you as a, as a young lad and, and then we'll take it from there. I can tell you plenty about myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will say, though, I will say something before. You're the only, you are definitely, by far, the favourite guest at the moment because you're the only guest that's ever brought us in a present. Absolutely. He brought us in a box of fruit. So, uh, mate, I tell you, just a small gesture go a long way with yeah. us. Eh? My old man always to say... Um, beware of people being yeah. gifts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's good because you've set the bar for future well, guests. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they're listening out there, yeah, you know now that this is the, this is the standard we want. We anyway. accept all gifts. We accept all gifts. Yes. <laughs> all right. Sorry, we digress, right. but yeah. So back to you. So, growing up, um, I had really good parents. Um, I, I grew up in with European parents. Um, who were quite strict, but they were, they were good parents. I grew up on a farm. I had a, a great upbringing. Um, I considered myself to be a, a very lucky, a very lucky uh, young man. Um, and you know, everything I sort of touched turned to gold. You know, I got married at the age of nineteen. Beautiful woman, had kids. You know, um, life life was going really well. I was I was fit as a fiddle. I was a, a kickboxing champion. I was a a two times Australian kickboxing champion. I was a South Pacific kickboxing champion. Um, had, had always had great jobs, always made good money, um, and I really didn't know anything but good. 
um, and, and, and that turned around quite quickly. Yeah. That's, and when you start off in a story like that and you, you paint that picture, it's very different to, you know, not everyone that we interview, mm. but certainly then, you know, what would intrigue then is, yeah, so obviously where in your life then, if you've got all this, you know, you're married at a young age, you know, you're doing all this great stuff in, in fitness and, and, and all that stuff outside of it. Um, so where does it then go off the rails a little bit? Like, what was school like? Were you always good? Like, were you always... You know, or was there something within you there that you can see now that, you know, when poked at a little bit, brought out a different side to you? Or was it always just that you were just cruising? Yeah, no, I I, I cruised through life. I had had a a great dad who was my best friend um, and he put a lot of time into me. He was not book smart at all, my dad. I think he only went to, to grade three in school because of the war, blah, blah, blah. But um, he put a lot of time into me. So he gave me a lot of natural skill or or we could call it street skill, I suppose, uh, to a certain degree anyway, but life skill. Um, And growing up on the farm was fantastic. I didn't grow up with a lot of people. Grew up, you know, I was, uh, I've I've got two older brothers who are a lot older. So I sort of grew up as as an only child. But... um, yeah, everything I sort of touched turned to gold. And I, whatever I did in my life was always to impress my old man. Right, yeah. yeah. So um, I, had a great, I had a great paying job. Used to drive a Mercedes-Benz, you know, um, rode a Harley-Davidson. Um, I had all the toys. My house was paid off um, at the age of 27 from working hard, two jobs, always worked two jobs. Um, and, and I thought... Well, this is the WOG mentality. The WOG mentality is always, you know, pay your house off, save your money, uh, um, and, you know, you'll be able to buy your, your kids uh, really nice things, you know. Today, uh, my opinion of that is very different. Yeah. Uh, I agree in working hard, but I'm not, not too fussed about um, w- um, paying my house off or, or paying anything off um, because the kids didn't want the nice presents. My kids wanted time with their dad. Mm. And yeah. I, I didn't... Re- it took me a long time to realise that. But, so, my life turned around when I was working for a leading supermarket chain. Um, and one day whilst I was at work, I was struck in the back with a forklift, damaging my lower spine. So I went from being fit as a fiddle to just about being wheelchair-bound. Um, I, I, I spent a fair bit of time in a wheelchair, but over a 12-month period, uh, I could do very little. I couldn't stand for too long. I couldn't sit too, for too long. Uh, the doctors put me on all these different medications, um, all these different painkillers, antidepressants, um, and, and nothing worked. Um, I was in pain all the time. They, uh, they tried numerous medical treatments, physiotherapy, uh, acupuncture, chiropractic, uh, spinal therapy, hydrotherapy, nothing worked. I, mm. I, was, I was always in pain. Pain that uh, you feel in your sleep. So it never sort of leaves you, you mm. know. And one day this uh, acquaintance of mine popped around and he, he heard um, that I was in a bad way because what I did was I separated myself once I'd injured myself, I didn't feel good enough to hang around with my mates riding Harleys, right? Well, I couldn't ride a Harley anyway, so I felt useless. I, I said I didn't go to the fights anymore. Um, I wasn't part of a of a, of, a, of of my clan anymore because I was useless. You know, I, I was injured, so 
I separated myself and really just uh, just stayed home. I didn't want to see or hear from anybody. And one day an acquaintance popped around and, you know, he heard I was in a b bad way and he thought he would bring me something to make me feel a bit better. After 12 months in pain, um, I would have tried anything. Mm. I was desperate, you know. Um, and he brought with him the drug ice, methamphetamine. Um, and I was a little bit scared of trying something like that, but uh, I was willing at the same time. Mm. Uh, ice was fairly new. There wasn't a lot known about it. Um, but it didn't look dangerous to me in the fact that it wasn't in a syringe, you know. It was a, a little crystal-type substance. They drop it into a glass pipe, put the cigarette lighter underneath it, it melts, and, mm. and they say, inhale this, and, and, and that's what I did. So that from that very first... Uh, puff of ice, uh, all I can say is wow. Mm. Wow. And was that your first, I guess, experimentation with drugs at that point? Or? No. Look, if I have to be totally uh, 100% honest, um, there was once or twice in my early, t uh, my, my late teens where I tried speed. Yeah. You know, one night only, you yep. know. Uh, and Eckies were no route. I might have popped one or two here and there. Um, but I was always concentrating on my fitness and fighting. Yeah. It wasn't a part of your life. No, really, not no. at all. Not at all. It was something to say that I tried it, you yep. know. But ice was a – that was a different beast. Hmm. And did it – I suppose it was on two levels. Well, I suppose the main level was it was was it giving you like a, um, a release mentally and physically. Yeah, because physically, you know, you, you're saying that you're unable to – kind of you know be who you were and move and stay standing for a while you've had this major back issue that you're dealing with mentally then there's the other side of it where you're completely kind of nearly isolating yourself around it as well so it's giving you some kind of false confidence or a false kind of thing does that be fair so, to say so so that very first puff puff of ice every hair from the tip of my toes to the back of my neck stood up mm. and instantaneously i wasn't depressed anymore instantaneously my mind was running a million miles an hour and all of a sudden my mind was no longer a prisoner of my body where previously, because I couldn't do what I wanted to do, my mind was a prisoner. You know, I, I didn't want to hear or speak or, or, or speak to anybody. After that first puff of ice, I jumped on the phone, I rang everybody I knew, you know. Um, yeah. I was cured in my head, you know. Even though it wasn't an instant cure for my back, it was an instant cure for my mind. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then with every up comes the down. Mm. And I thought I was in pain before. But, you know, two days later, after the ice had completely run out of my system, I was in more pain than I ever was before. And it didn't matter how many of the legalised meds I took, nothing worked mm. at all. So what did I do? come up with a great idea that I would self-medicate on ice daily. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I threw the doctor's meds in the bin because I thought I was smart. Yeah. I thought, 100 bucks a day? I could do this if it made me feel that good. But unfortunately, $100 is where it started. Mm. You know, it escalated to 200 to 300 to 500 to 700 And towards the end, I was using over $1,000 worth of ice a day. A day. How are you funding it? How was I funding it? Yeah. Yeah, well, in, 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 in the world of addiction or in the drug world, to survive, you generally do one of two things. You either deal or you steal. And I never made much of a thief. I was 
pretty good with numbers, so I started to deal drugs. Mm. Mm. And were you doing anything else at that time? In, in like, so actually, how long? I'm interested to know how long um, this kind of lifestyle. Like you said, you built up right from a hundred to a thousand dollars a day. Um, and were you doing anything else at that time? Like in your life, did you start to do employment again, or were you, was there anything coinciding with it, or was it just all in? So, so, the, so the big kick in the guts was. Um, the, the the company that I was working for sacked me because I couldn't fulfill my job description. Mm. I was a, I was a truck driver. I couldn't sit um, I couldn't sit down. I couldn't bounce um, for long periods of time. So they let me go. Um, I was at home. My mind was running a million miles an hour. Bored out of my brain. Didn't know what to do really. So I started buying cars. I'd buy a cheap car. I'd, I'd spend a couple of hours here and there a day clean it up, sell it, make a profit, mm. right? So, 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 so I come up with this great idea that I'd buy a heap of cars and sell them. And before I knew, the council got on my back and said, mate, you can't have that many cars at home. Mm. Yeah. So then I needed a factory. You know, when you're not thinking straight, um, yeah, yeah, when you're not thinking straight, you're not thinking straight. So here I am, I went to hire a factory. And I bought this car, it was a V8 wagon, um, that needed a lot of work. And I was thinking, well, maybe should I spend another $1,500 on it to possibly get three grand or should I strip it um, and see what I get in parts? Well, I stripped it and I made five grand profit, mm. right? So the next brainwave was I'm starting a wrecking yard and that's what I did. I, um, I started buying all Holden V8s, I started stripping them and, and I started making good dollars. Um, and then you know, I was using a fair bit of gear. A couple of a couple of guys would come around, all using gear. Before I knew it, they were helping me work in the factory. At one stage, I was employing six people, wow. uh, six or seven people. We were all on the gear. It was a twenty-four hour operation. Um, you know, we'd we'd smoke in the morning, we'd smoke at lunchtime, we'd smoke in the afternoon, and we'd go all night. Um, and then I started dealing out of the wrecking yard. Mm. Um, How long was that going on for then? Uh, do you think that when it hit its, hit its peak? I, I think about uh, about two years, but but I was an ice addict for seven years. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Because um, a lot of things happened along the way. So whilst I started using ice, um, my father died. Um, I took that really really hard. Right, so I'm using ice. Uh, already in that dark world and my rock, my world, you know, uh, dies, right? Um, about 12 months later, my brother who was helping me in the wrecking yard, driving the tow truck, he has a massive heart attack and he dies. Um, three months later, my mum dies, mm. right? right? Uh, and then 12 months after that, I had a baby girl, daughter, and she died. So, again, um, the world's dark. You start using more and more drugs. You know, um, I got raided by the coppers a couple of times and you think you're in a little bit of trouble, so why not get into a little bit more? So start dealing bigger, you know, start buying, start trading hot stuff for, for, for drugs, you know. Um, start dealing with unsavoury characters like some heavy hitters um, along the way. I was shot in the thigh um, and I was stabbed three times in the back of the neck by three guys trying to stand over me for money and drugs. Um, 
and nearly died. So, you know, my life went from a really clean skin, uh, above board life to shit in a very short time. Mm. Um, and after my daughter died, I didn't want to be here anymore. Uh, so I, I tried taking my own life five times. Okay. Um, and oh. how, how I stand before you here today, I'll never know. And how long, oh, like that, over what period of time are we talking these five? 12 months. 12 months. 12 months. And at any stage of that, like, was, like, did you ever feel like you could reach out to help or there was any, or was it just too, was it too dark and too lost that you did, was just too far gone for you then? I didn't, I didn't know what I needed. Yeah. Um, because the, the ice masks everything, I, you know, there was no true emotion there. I really didn't know what I, I needed. And, you know, I'd, I'd been raided by the coppers a few times, each time them finding drugs. So I was on numerous counts of bail. I was on KISS bail. Um, with the KISS bail, they, they get you to see a counsellor. These counsellors, mate, all they were worried about was how they were going to get paid. You know, they, they could not relate to anything I was going through. And, and I'll never forget that one of my suicide attempts was um, I was on bail, unlicensed, um, I never even had a registered car, and they sent me to see a, a psychologist um, in Armadale, and I was living in Werribee. Um, my fuel tank was on empty when I left Werribee. It was a V8 Holden, right? And um, I managed to get to Armadale, wait in the waiting room. He kept me going. He kept me waiting there for an hour and a half after my appointment time, and then he spends 45 minutes of my appointment time, trying to work out uh, why the doctor signed in the wrong spot. So he's making all these phone calls because he was worried about he wasn't going to get paid. Right? And here I am, this guy was supposed to try and help me. Yeah. You know? mm. um, so on the way home, um, I ran out of petrol. Unlicensed, unregistered car, on bail, you know, coming down off the gear, never even had... Uh, actually, I think my mobile phone was flat or I had no credit. But... Um, yeah, I just, I just, you know, I had enough. Um, and I, I stood straight out in front of a truck because um, I didn't want to be here no more. Mm. Um, and the truck hits me, throws me into the air. I land on the road. Uh, it was a Mercedes truck because I remember seeing the big emblem. Um, I land on the road and I see the, the trailer jackknifing across the road. And all of a sudden, I'm scattering off the road because I'm thinking, fuck, I don't want to get run over by the truck. <laughs> you have to just been run over by the truck. <laughs> you know, the truck hit me, but I didn't want to get flattened by the truck. So you get up, yeah. you get up and move. I got up and ran away. I got up and ran away. Um, how, how, how I survived that, I'll never know. Um, and, and when something like that happens, right, that's like, you know, just listen to that. That's inconceivable to even yeah. try and walk out, mm. right? When something like that happened to you, right, and you survive... And you kind of pick the pieces up, and obviously, you know, you you say you're, you're you know you're heavily using oil. So if there is any chance of this moment of clarity or whatever, do you look at that as a sign, or do you look at that as go, oh, you know what, I'm actually indestructible here. Like I can go harder and do whatever. Like how does something like that play a part? What what's the next thing goes through your head after that? You know, as you process that, what's happened? Because you're in in such a depth of depression. What went through my mind is I can't even I I can't even knock myself properly. Mm. So that's what goes through your mind. You convince yourself that you are useless as a person. Um, I convinced myself that my kids were better off without their dad. You know, how, 
how wrong how wrong was I? But you know, I don't want to make this all dark and dreary. No. Right? But but if we if we talk about that you meant to be here, I let a sawn off shotgun go in my mouth. So a big box of bullets. I reach into the bullet uh, to the box. I pull the shiniest bullet out. I whack it into the shotgun and I pull the trigger. And I'm here to tell the story. Right, so the bullet goes off, the wad goes off, it blows the back of my mouth out, blood coming out my nose and ears, and, and, and a couple of coppers grabbed me because I was at my brother's house in um, St. Leonard's. A couple of coppers um, grabbed me because my brother had done a welfare check on me and take me to the psych ward. And they keep me in there for about four hours and ask me if I was going to harm myself again or try harming myself again. And I just wanted to go use straight after that. Um, and I'm saying no, I'm fine. I'll, I'll be fine. You know, it was just a bad mistake. And they give me some. They give me four Valium tablets and let me go. Jeez. And at this time, right? You have kids. You still, and, yeah. and and you and you're still married, or is that all gone? Uh, no, this, that was that, that was, was well finished. gone. Yeah, yeah. So you got like how many kids at this time? Two. Two kids. And what ages were they? Um, probably eight and twelve at that time. Yeah. So. So from that moment on, then talk us through then what happens next, um, uh, especially in you know the, the criminal activity and, and where it leads to as well. Because like we, you know, in this podcast we will get to the other side of the amazing sure. work that you do. But like, you know, I think this is really important to hear of for other people to hear. Like when you're at these moments, and I can honestly say we've talked to a lot of people. Like there's not many that have been at this moment that have been at the moment you've been at, mm. and have you know lived to tell that story. You know, so um, so where does it move on from there after, you know, you have this attempt with the shotgun and you, you, you leave there and, and what happens next? So the same stuff continues for a while and you live from you live day to day for a long period of time, you know, and and, and I'd get up in the morning each day thinking of how I want to how I, how I try and end my life today. Um, like I said, the coppers had raided me numerous times um, and soon enough. I go to prison. So we're talking a few years on mm. now, yeah. Um, I, I went to prison and, and, and jail was a huge eye-opener for me. You know, here I am thinking my life was bad before. Um, the feeling of being locked up and having no rights, um, you know, told when to eat, when to sleep, and basically when to shit was a big eye-opener for me. Locked into locked in a cell, uh, man, and I was locked. I got locked up. Well, first it was the custody centre, the LA submarine. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a special place. Yeah. Yeah. We've, had, we've, uh, we've, had, we've had a few mentions on that in this yeah, podcast. The yellow, yellow submarine has come a few yeah, times. That's a special place. And then, and then from there, I went to the Metropolitan Remand Centre, and it was just after that had uh, the big riots there. Yeah. So everybody was in lockdown, and you know you were two out in a cell, and you'd get fed through this little slot in, in, in the door in a little plastic container, uh, cold food that was freezing cold. Um, and, and just as you're about to eat, your Sally decides to take a dump mm. less than a metre <laughs> meter away from you. Yeah. You know, like, if, if, if that's not an eye-opener to say this is not life, nothing is. Mm. You know, and that's... Plus, I was detoxing, so that's when, you know, that's when you know some some light started flashing before me to say hey you know you've got to do something because you're not going to last yeah. yeah you know 
So, so you know, four or five months in and my system starts to clean up, I just uh, was hit with all this emotion of what I'd lost. You know, I, I could barely spoke about my, my marriage breakdown, but, you know, I'd, I'd lost, I'd lost um, a wife. You know, my kids didn't want to know me anymore. Um, I'd lost a baby daughter. My parents were dead and my brother was dead. Right? And, and all this massive f- flood of emotion come through uh, and grief. And, and I had to get some help inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a lot of help inside, but there is some help if you seek it. Uh, and if you, really, you know, if you really put some trust in that the people that write these programs um, should know what they're doing, well, you can learn some stuff while you're in there. And that's what I did. I did as many programs and courses as I could whilst I was in prison. Mm. You know, um, some of them for two hours, some of them were for four, some was one day, some of them was two weeks. Um, but but those programs really helped me more than any counsellor ever did because I was sitting in a room with like-minded people, hearing stories, thinking, yeah, I did get the rough end of the stick, I am still here, and actually, I just heard what you know what what that guy went through growing up um, as a kid. I, I was pretty lucky. Mm. Yeah. So, what what were some of these programs uh, that really helped? Uh, look, there was numerous ones dealing with loss, deal, yeah. dealing with worry, dealing with addiction. I said, you know, learning about what. Uh, why ice affects your brain the way it, mm. why it does and and you know education is power knowledge is power knowing why you felt the way you did because you know because of this chemical and that chemical it really it really hit home for me you know um in between the wife uh, and going to prison there was numerous toxic relationships with women so all of a sudden i'm thinking maybe i'm no good as a bloke uh, i can't keep I can't keep a woman. Well, at the end of the day, if you're on drugs and she's on drugs, it's never going to work, mm. right? Two toxic people. Uh, so I did a relationships course. I did a parenting course. Um, basically, whatever whatever I could take on board whilst I was in there. Um, and, 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 and they worked. Yeah. Yeah. So how long did you, uh, how long did you stay in prison? Um, how long did you, what did you do? Just one big... Thing or yeah, we on and off? Yeah, it was it wasn't massive, and 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 I think it wasn't massive. To be honest with you, I, I thought I was going to get three or five, three to five years. Yeah, um, I was very lucky that the only brother I had left uh, had paid for a decent legal team who put a decent case together, and I had an empathetic judge. When the judge had heard uh, what I had been through, lost all that family, uh, the courses that I did whilst I was in prison, and my willingness to change, um, plus. I hadn't had a lot of prize. Um, there was some prize for for growing a bit of dope. Uh, that was about it, um, and maybe some gun charges. Um, but th- there wasn't a lot of prize. Um, the judge gave me twelve months. Yeah. So I spent six months in remand and six months sentenced out at Fulham. Yeah, yeah. And when you're released, then 
<laughs> like, yeah, so when you're released into the community, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, after, you know, because you've had then, that 12 months, I'd imagine, is so, like you say, you said it yourself, like massively eye-opening, but you're getting in tune with your, like, mm. you know, your feelings, your mind, you know, as well. Um, did you feel really anxious leaving? Did you feel that, you know, you were, you know, you could change? Or were you thinking, when I get out of here, you know, there's a good chance I can go back to what I'm doing? I knew... I, I, well, I really wanted to get my life back together when I was released from prison. I had no contact from anyone except my brother when I was in prison, so no contact with the, any of the kids. There was another kid made in between um, my youngest son, um, Brody, who's eight. Um, he was made with another to uh, in, the, in a toxic environment. Um, so I had no contact with the three of my kids in that time. Um, the only person I had contact with, with, with was with my brother, and I would tell my brother when, when I would speak to him on the phone, I'm not doing this ever again. I'm going to get my life back together, and he said, "Well, you know, hopefully you do. We'll see how you go." You know, so he wasn't very optimistic, uh, hoping that I would, but uh, he wasn't very optimistic. So, what year was this that you? Uh, what? 2016. 2016. Yeah. So you leave prison. Um, and what happens? You go looking for a job, or so, you? So leave prison on the bones of my ass, yeah. right? So leave prison with a, a garbage bag uh, in prison greens, sent on the train, and um, my brother helped me with my court case. He helped me with my legals, um, but he made it very clear that I wasn't to live with him um, because he had his own struggles, mm. uh, and he was a justice of the peace. And here I am, a drug addict, ex-offender, right? <laughs> so um, the jail had organised a boarding house for me uh, to live in once I was released from prison. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh, well, at least I've got a roof over my head, mm. you know? All, then all I need is a job. But um, I caught the train from sale into the city. My brother met me in the city. He took me to the boarding house, which was in North Sunshine. And all I can say is, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, you know, here I am expecting a bedroom in a house. Yeah. Well, I knocked on the door. This huge lady answers the door. Really big lady. Uh, one eye looking one way, another eye looking another. I didn't even know where to look because the eyes were in two totally different directions. You know, she's slurring her words. She's off her face um, on heroin. And, you know, she's uh, had this big thing of keys with her and she said, you must be here for the room. It's down the hallway. So she takes me down the hallway. The, the house stunk. Um, there was empty beer bottles everywhere. There was a car in the driveway with every window was smashed in it. There was a, uh, two lounge suites on the nature strip, you know, and I'm thinking, here we go, <laughs> you know. So as she's mumbling away, she undoes these three padlocks on the door. It was like Maxwell Smart, you know, three padlocks on the door. <laughs> and she says that your room smells like piss because the guy in the room next to you has mental illness. He ur urinates on the wall and it goes into your carpet, you know. Uh. And sure enough, she opened his door and the waff of piss knocked me for a six. And I stuck my head in the room and there was three syringes on the carpet. Right? And, and, and my accommodation, so my, my, my bed never even had any sheets on it. It was just a mattress and base. There was a three uh, a side door a side drawer thing there supposed to have three drawers. There was just one drawer sitting in the middle, right? And the mattress had a big, dirty brown blood patch in the middle of it, like a big size of a football blood patch. 
and I couldn't. I just could not stay there. Mm. Yeah. My jail cell was cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I begged my brother. I said. I got him out of the car. I said, "Come and have a look at this," because he's not going to believe it. Yeah. And, and 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 honestly, he couldn't believe it. So he put me. In, he got me up in a hotel for a few nights till he could sort something out. Um, and then he found me a um, a drug-free boarding house in Point Cook. Right. So we will staying with nine other people, but it was drug-free. Yeah. Uh, it was nice and new, yeah. and at least the bed had sheets on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So so that was a start. So now I had a roof over my head. Then I had to complete a corrections order. Um, so I had an 18-month corrections order with 380 hours community work, a drug and alcohol program, a, men, um, a mental health program, a judicial mon- judicial monitoring, and I had to see my caseworker once a week. So you've got to jump through all those hoops as well as try and survive. Now, that boarding house was $200 a week. Um, I was released on Centrelink, which was 520 a fortnight. And I was trying to survive on 60 bucks a week. Jeez. Yeah. After my first payment, I was hungry. I yep. was broke. I was going to church groups uh, for food. Uh, you can only get a food parcel every two weeks. And every job I applied for, as soon as I saw a cr- I had a criminal record, I would just never hear back. Mm. And this went on for months and months and months and months. Here I am thinking that my life was going to go straight upwards when I was released from prison. I was very wrong. Mm. Mm. So... The temptation to to revert. It would have been very easy for me to go back to my old life. So what stopped you? You know, two things. One, I wanted to get my kids back in my life, and I knew I couldn't do that if I was a drug addict again. Um, but on top of that, my brother never lost faith in me um, or supported me the whole time. He had lost the rest of his family. And, and I didn't want to do that to him anymore. I, I owed it to myself, but I owed it to him. Mm. You know, he'd, he'd been through enough. Yeah. You know, and, going, and, and, and you know, I was very close to my old hood. My old hood was Werribee. So going back to dealing, making a thousand bucks in one deal or, you know, would have been easy. Mm. But I knew I would end up in jail, if not dead this time. Yeah. And, 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 and because I was clean, all I wanted to do was live, and all I wanted to do was get my life together. What age are you at this time, Simon? Uh, 43. Yep. Mm. So 43, you've come out of prison. You're 42, face, actually. 42, you're facing this, you know, and, and, and you're looking at for employment. And I, and I take it you're looking for any job you can kind of yeah. get your hand on. Yeah. So where does, where, does that, where does that change? Where does that employment come from? What's, what unlocks that for you? Uh, one other thing I'll add to coming out of prison, because this is a lot of, you know, this is what you can expect, which you, which you don't expect, is while you're in prison, people think that you're, you're dead, and they take everything you own. Mm. <laughs> you know, everything <laughs> I owned uh, went missing. I had uh, clothes, um, I had my clothes and stuff at one of my ex's places, and when I was released, I went there to get them, and she she gave me a bag of clothes. And there was all these blokes jocks in them. Uh, right? They weren't my jocks. <laughs> they were all different sizes, right? So, you know, she, she obviously had a lot of fun while I was away. But, you know, I, I come out to nothing. Yeah. Come out to nothing, hungry and broke, and, and it's tough. Yeah. Um, and, and trying to get a job is tough. Yeah. Um, and one day, um, probably about six months after I was released, I went and seen my caseworker and said, I can't do this no more. And she goes, what, what, what's the problem? 
I said, I, 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 uh, I can't do everything you're asking me to do with corrections. Um, I can't be hungry and, and, and I can't get a job for the life of me. You know, I, I, I don't know what else to do. I think I'm better off back in jail. And, and by fluke, um, and that's where my story changes for the better, by fluke she reaches into the trash can and she pulls out a flyer from Fruit to Work saying, um, we are seeking a delivery driver and if you've got a criminal record, you are encouraged to, reply, to apply. And that was <laughs> the turning point. So you applied straight away? Well, yeah. I, I never even had any phone credit, so I asked her to make a phone <laughs> call. Right? And asking, asking someone from corrections to do something extra for you is a big thing, right? <laughs> so she made the phone call. I got an interview. I was met by a lovely lady uh, who heard my story um, and she wanted to give me a chance. So I got a job. Right? I got a job. So now I had a roof over my head. I was fulfilling my corrections orders and I got a job. And the job was starting at 1.30 in the morning, two days a week on the other side of town, but it was a job. Yeah. You know, and I was given a high-vis uniform, right? So I didn't feel like an ex-drug addict anymore. I just felt like a, a worker, yeah. right? I was entrusted with keys to a van, a delivery van. I was entrusted with a fuel card. I was entrusted to keys to buildings. So someone else... Someone else started to trust me again after years of being a wor in a world of no trust. When you're in the drug world, you don't trust anyone. No one trusts you. You know, when you're in jail, it's the same thing. Somebody's giving me a job and they're giving me trust. And the last thing you want to do is break that trust mm. if you want to go down the right road. Mm. So... So I started the job and I really started kicking goals. And, you know, I would go and I'd deliver boxes of fruit into offices with a lot of hot women, you know, and I'd feel great, you know, <laughs> that, that smile. I didn't feel like a dirty junkie anymore and I didn't feel like an ex-offender anymore. I just felt like a, a delivery bloke. And my confidence started to grow and fruit to work started to grow because it was very new. Um, I think back then fruit to work was turning over about $300,000 a year. Um, and I, I was promoted to a team leader, you know. Uh, within 12 months, I was promoted to operations manager. And, and today, I'm the general manager of Fruit to Work and I'm on the board of directors. And this year, Fruit to Work will do over $5 million. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. So good. It's great, great, great business. I remember four seniors speak at a, it was a book launch that we were both, I think, um, companies rebuild and free to walk around, which is dollars and cents. I think it that's was. Right, yeah. yeah, and you spoke at that, and that's going back to that would have been two thousand eighteen. Yeah, wouldn't have been. Yeah, yeah, would have been. So you yeah. would you would have been just on that start of your journey, weren't you? And I remember Correct. listening to your story, going, "That's amazing." But then seeing you over the years and hearing about you and, and reading articles and so forth, and then hearing you speak other things is like, it's incredible. But also the work to fruit to work is doing. Mm. Um, so how many people are they? Um, employing now um, so, so currently we employ 36 people yeah and we have transitioned 70 people back into the community as returning citizens yeah um, the business is a non-for-profit social enterprise so every dollar the business makes from selling fruit and milk goes back into helping people just like me mm. yeah um, to top things off the uh, business has been in operation over six years and not one person that has joined our program has gone back to prison. That's awesome. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. You know, um, it just goes to show you um, if somebody gives you a chance, somebody understands you because you're working in an environment where there's no judgment, 
there's no stigma you can be open um, you know and, and and you're working with people with lived experience and like-minded people who are only interested in being better than they who than they used to be mm. no one wants to be better than each other just better than who they used to be yeah it's a great um, point it's it, a great point it uh, it's a it, it is a great business with a great culture mm. so tell us a little bit about how the business works so it, it, it's it's very simple the, we, we deliver fruit uh, milk is a big part of our business now too so we deliver fruit milk and pantry items Tim Tams chocolates coke whatever whatever the office whatever office needs uh, we deliver to workplaces, uh, offices, infrastructure projects, um, factories, uh, any workplace. We actually deliver to Melbourne City Council. Um, we got our with the first delivery to a police station last week. Um, we deliver to universities, um, and every dollar the business makes goes back into creating more employment. Uh, we run a program out of Fruit to Work. It's called Building a Better You. Um, the guy who faci- facilitates the program, Dion, he's done 23 years in prison and, wow. and, and he runs this program um, and, he, and or delivers the program and he does a great job. It's a voluntary program and we have a 95% attendance rate at quarter to seven on a Friday morning. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. great. Great. And um, I suppose, like, you know, obviously we, you know, we're very similar in the works that we do and, and, you know, philosophies we have around employing people and, and, and what they need, you know. Um, what's the, what's the, what do you feel is the, is the common or most important kind of advice that you can give to young people that are incarcerated or are in the position that you were where they're struggling, where they might be released and they're trying to get work and, you know, the door is getting shut. Like, what do you say to them? Never give up. Yeah. Never give up. You know, if you think you're going to get out of jail and everything is going to be a bed of roses instantly, you're kidding yourself. You know, but, you know, it's hard to do this uh, via via a podcast. But if you can imagine a graph um, and, and, and a graph doesn't go straight up. You know, it, 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 it goes up for a little bit, goes sideways, it goes up a bit, it goes sideways again. Um, and, and, and that is exactly what it's like when you get, when you get out of prison. You know, it's not going to be win, 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 win. You know, it's going to be win, hurdle, 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 win, win, win. You know, but, but you've got you to stick fat. You've got to mm-hmm. stick with it. There's something I took away um, from, uh, from I, I even did uh, NA when I was in prison. And there's something I took away uh, and I swore by and I swear by today. Um, this guy said to me, you try six months of your life without touching drugs or alcohol and I will guarantee you your life will be better. Mm. Right? And if it's not, go back to your shitty life. Mm. You've got nothing to lose. And, and he was right on the money and I swear by that saying, six months. Give it six months. Stay clean for six months um, and, and your life will get better. I guarantee you. Yeah, yeah. So you've gone from from driving the trucks now all the way to GM. What's your favourite part of the job? Employing people. Yeah. Employing people. Um, uh, bringing somebody new in, telling them about fruit to work and what we would like to do for them, not what they can do for us. And then watching them succeed. 
and my biggest buzz, my true north, is watching men and women reconnect with their kids. Mm. So uh, a little part to the story, uh, and I think it's very, very important, is I said to you that I've got an eight-year-old boy that was made in that toxic uh, environment. Unfortunately, his mother still is in that toxic lifestyle. All right. Here I am, I got out of jail on the bones of my ass. She's got full custody and she lives over the border, six hours away. I never thought um, I would have any parental right, right? Today, I have full custody of that little boy. Uh, that little boy, an eight-year-old boy who's got his dad back. Now, this is a dad that wanted to knock himself and thought he was not good enough for anything. But that little boy absolutely adores his dad, right? And I adore him. Mm. Um, and I'm ever so blessed that, that my suicide attempts never worked. Because mm. today, I can parent that little boy. I've actually got a stepdaughter as well. And my, my older two kids um, have grown up and are on their feet and they're doing really well. But they had a great mother too. Mm. Yeah, right? But by me getting right meant that my kids are going to be right. Right? So, so it's really important for anyone out there who's got children to, to, to get their lives back together mm. so their kids have got somebody to look up to. It's, it, yeah, it's beautiful to hear. But, you know, the country message on it as well, I think you said at the start, is that I think sometimes people forget or just overlook the fact that kids just want a parent. Yes. They just want a father and yes. just want a mother. And, no matter, yes. and it goes in different levels. Like, you know, yours is an extreme level of what happened in your life. But I think in everyday life, that, that message can be brought out. You know, like people that are busy in their work or are busy in whatever, you know. And I think everyone's guilty of that as well. You just overlook the fact that simply, first and foremost, they just want mm. a father and a mother. So what good are we to our kids if we're incarcerated? Mm. Yeah. None. You cannot parent from jail. Mm. Um, and, 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 and the kid wants a role model to look up to. And that's why it's really important to get our shit together. Um, so uh, these kids have somebody to look up to. How's your relationship with your eldest too? So my oldest son, uh, who's 22, he, he will not talk to me. Yeah. And it doesn't matter um, what I do, how I approach it, um, all the good work that I do, um, he's been a little unforgiving. Yeah. Um, maybe time will tell. I, I don't know. Mm. He has every right to because, you know what, I was a shit dad. I chose drugs over my kid. I chose um, waiting to get cash or waiting to get gear or whatever over my, over my kid. So I'm hoping one day uh, he will forgive me. My daughter, who's obviously um, his 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 sister, um, she's 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 a great a great young lady, you know, and doing really really well. Uh, and then I've got my little boy, but I've got I've got a new partner, uh, a fiance actually. Um, she's got a young, she's got a young daughter, um, and she's a great kid too. You know, we're building a house. Here I am. I just told you six years ago I got out of jail. And all I had was a bag of clothes. All right. Today we're building a house, mm. um, and 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 it doesn't come easy. But you just got to keep at it, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, yeah, walk wise, what's the next steps for you, mate? Um, I, I'm hoping to diet through to work and, and not in any hurry either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm hoping fruit to work um, can go nationwide. Yeah. Um, or, or, or get to a size where it, it, it can help as many people as possible. Um, anywhere from, you know, from women to youth to, to all, all sorts of diversity. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the more people I, I can help, my job is done. Yeah. yeah, and you do a bit of you know you do a bit of mentoring as well, don't you? And you do a bit of speaking. So you go back into into some custodial centres sure. and, and speak there and tell your story. Yeah, you know, I I'll go back in and I'll, I'll talk to groups of guys um, and, and tell them my story, um, and I'll explain to them that I am I don't think I'm better than them at all. In actual fact, I am them. And and six years ago, I was sitting where they were sitting, and nothing happened that was magic for me you know um i i uh, i never had anything magic magical happen i just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it and i got my life back and i say the same thing to the guys um that that work for us and and i watch them grow and i watch them get their kids back you know some of the guys have spent two or three years in prison right um at christmas time their kids got no presents right now the guys are buying laybys. You know they've got laybys um, on what they and they show me what they're buying their kids for Christmas, birthdays, long weekends. Long weekends, I get photos of, of guys at their campsite. They've actually gone away with their families. You know um, where previously they'd be on the hunt for gear or chasing money. Yeah, you stick at it. You do it right. Every dollar you earn, legit is your money. Mm. You never have to look over your shoulder again. Yeah. Um, just curious and picking up on something that, you know, you were talking about. Um, do you think that, what, what do you think can change with the with the systems of people leaving prisons, whether it's parole, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's like, you know, I just think of your experience of walking into that house, you know, that, and thinking, how is anyone meant to survive in that? Like, is there anything that you look back on now and you think, you know what, if we could, you know, do better here, um, then people can do better for themselves. I, Fruit to Work was conceptualised by two guys doing a project for the uh, foundations for young Australians. One of them was a psychiatrist at Bowen Prison. And he kept seeing people come back to prison time and time and time again after he'd worked with them for long periods of time knowing where they were going to go and what they were going to do. And every time he asked the question, what are you doing back here? The same two common answers kept coming up. I couldn't get a job and I couldn't get a roof over my head. Now they fall hand in hand. If you cannot get a job, you can't afford to, to, to rent a place. And at the same th time, if you're sleeping in the gutter, you're not gonna get a job. So that's two main things. And the best advice I could give any person who's in prison, coming out of prison, is try and find some accommodation. You know, if we've burnt bridges with family or friends, which we all have, while you're inside, write a letter. Write a letter, try and mend those bridges so you've got somewhere to live when you're released. Because if you think you're gonna rely on housing when you get out of prison uh, for somebody to find your house, you're kidding yourself. It's tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're only having a conversation with her today. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, fa- it's, a, it's a common thing, face, and it's like yeah, one needs the other and the other needs the other. It's, yeah. yeah, so um, before you go, mate, I'll ask you one question I ask um, everyone uh, on the podcast. So when, were you, when you were young, um, what did you want to be when you grew up? A chippy. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? I, I just loved working with Timber. You know, um, it, even when I go in the Raven Hall and I walked out the back before and I smelled that 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 that, that timber sh- that woodshed, you know, I, I just love the smell of timber. Mm. Yeah. Love it. I would never have thought that I would fall into a job like this. I never knew what social enterprise was. I never knew there were good people out there. I never did. Yeah. Uh, and I was every time somebody offered me something, I would look at them like, "What do you? What do you? What do you really want from me? Mm. Why are you giving me this?" Um, there are good people out there. Yeah. It's a family, mate. It's a family. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, even social enterprise, you look at the social enterprise world forum that we were at, like, and just the feel and yeah. and the connectiveness of everyone and just the willingness to, you know, to share and learn and, and, and so forth as well, I think is uh, it's, it's putting us in a strong position to do more good, you know? Um, and I think that's, uh, that's credit to the work that you're doing and, and, and everyone else as well in this, in this sector. When you, come, when you come from a dark world where you don't trust anybody, it's hard to trust again. Yeah. But, you know, that's the dark world you were from. Sometimes when you, when, when you get out, you have to trust um, because there are good people out there. Yeah. Uh, they opened the door for me and my life was changed. And today I see many lives changed by many good people who just want to do good. Yeah. Well, you're one of them good people, mate. So you keep <laughs> fighting it. the fight, you know. You're you're out there, you know, having a massively positive influence on so many people, you know, through learning from you and hearing from you, but also just, just you being you, you know what I mean? So appreciate that and appreciate all the work you're doing and appreciate you taking the time to come in here and, and share your story. I know it's one that um, people will, you know, um, be quite inspired by, you know, and, and parts of it will challenge people, you know, as well and, and as well. But, you know, you are living proof, you know, that, you know, in adversity, um, you know, you probably shouldn't have been here in many an occasion, but you are, and you are now making up for that and doing, putting the best foot forward um, to help yourself, but also everyone else as well, mate. So appreciate you, Simon, and everything that Fruit to Work is doing, mate. Thank you, James. It's been an absolute awesome. pleasure. Thank you. Oh, well, Thanks. And, and uh, look forward to the regular box of fruit. That you <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Never miss an opportunity. (laughs) If anything in today's episode has raised any issues for you or someone you know, head over to our website for a full list of services that may help. At ymcarebuild.org.au under the This podcast is produced by Mick Cronin and Mark Wilson. Editing.